Yes, that's right. Over the last three weeks, Martin has taken us on a journey with Joshua. Joshua was Moses' assistant and then took on leadership of the nation of Israel from Moses. And Martin has steered us nicely through the history of Joshua's early leadership, the appointment of Joshua, the crossing of the River Jordan, the fall of the city of Jericho. Uh, And all of this has already happened over the last three weeks. And you might be sitting there and thinking, oh no, I've missed some of that. Um, Well, fear not, because it's all online on our website. So feel free to pick up the story there. So far in our series, we've got to grips, as I say, with Joshua. Uh, And Martin set the the context of this in his very first talk, the fact that hundreds of years before God had promised Abraham that there would be a people, a nation, and a land that would be promised to his Uh, his descendants. And as God miraculously delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, Moses was then in a position to lead them into the fulfillment of the promise of God. And that fulfillment was drawing nearer. The nation of Israel was heading to the promised land. And as we might remember, some of us, uh, as we got closer to the promised land, Moses instructed that 12 spies be sent into the land and bring back a report. And 10 of the 12 spies believed that it was not possible to take the land. They stirred up the people against the purposes of God. Only two of the 12 had faith that actually this land could be taken. And one of those two was Joshua, who we've been following through the last three weeks. But today, we're going to look at the other spy, a man called Caleb. Because of his faith and his courage, Caleb became one of only two men in his generation to enter the promised land. So it's worth having a look at him. And so in a little while, I'm going to focus on Joshua chapter 14, where Caleb claims his inheritance. But we're not going there quite yet, because first of all, we're going to look back Uh, We're going to remind ourselves of the original story when Caleb, along with Joshua, and along with the other ten spies, went into that promised land. And so I'm going to read a little bit from uh, Numbers 13, and there are some tricky words uh, in this section. There's lots of ites often in these sections, I find. The Old Testament is full of ites, parasites, and all sorts of ites. And so, um, please excuse any elements of pronunciation which I struggle with, which actually reminds me of a story of a man and a woman who were, uh, they were a honeymoon couple, and they were traveling through America, and they came to a town that they, they thought, what's the, how do you pronounce the name of that town? I can't even remember what it was now, but it was a town or a city, and they were saying, how do you pronounce that? And they, they didn't know, and they were both arguing about the way in which to pronounce it. They stopped for a burger, and... Um, as they, were, as they were buying their burger, they said to the assistant behind the counter, um, look, we've been trying to work out how to pronounce this place, uh, and we can't agree. So before you give us our burger, will you just really slowly pronounce it for us? And the assistant said, certainly, it's McDonald's. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so pronunciation pronunciation can be tricky, and uh, Numbers 13 has one or two tricky words, so we're going to look at it now. Let's get on with it and stop being distracted. Numbers 13, 26 to 31, they came back to Moses 
and Aaron and the whole Israelite community, this is the spies coming back, uh, at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them to the, and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And then Numbers 14 from verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And so, in spite of Joshua and Caleb's statement of faith, the other ten spies managed to persuade the people that this was not possible. It's not possible to take the land. And of course, for this reason, they spent another 40 years in the desert. So this is quite a story, and Caleb is right in the middle of it. And so before we move to Joshua chapter 14, there are a couple of things which struck me about this incredible story, a couple of things which I felt maybe the Holy Spirit was sort of bringing to my mind. Things that we learn from Caleb and his response to the promises of God. And the first relates to peer pressure. I wonder if anyone in the room remembers a television program called Candid Camera. Anyone remember that? This is a generational split thing. That will uh, (laughs) certainly do that. Um, It was an early example of people doing sort of strange and outrageous things in a public context to see how everyday people would respond and react to them. Is that a good summary of what the program was? That was pretty well, wasn't it? Um, And one particular episode, uh, there was a couple of people standing in a lift. But rather than standing in the lift facing the door, they faced the back of the lift with their backs to the door. So... The experiment was to see what would happen when people entered the lift. And as they did so, as people came into the lift, each person conformed to the imposters by facing the wrong direction. They all stood with their backs to the door. The power of peer pressure. Our culture demands that people should fit in, that we follow the fashions of the age, that we should be forced to conform. But my encouragement to every Christian is that we do not abandon biblical convictions. This is said to be a particular challenge to young people, but I think it's a challenge for us all, all of us. 
In fact, it's possible that peer pressure becomes greater when we get older because it just becomes more subtle. If someone has bright pink hair at college, the next day his or her friend might have bright pink hair, and that's pretty obvious. But as we get older, peer pressure becomes more sophisticated. So let's not get sucked in. Let's consider who we follow and why we follow them. And if it's necessary, we need to be ready to swim against the tide, not in an arrogant or aggressive way, but in a determined and a committed way. So I'm encouraging us, let's be like Caleb. As the ten disagreed with him and Joshua, he must have felt the power of peer pressure. But he held his ground. And when it's necessary for us, let's hold our ground. There's certain aspects of our culture which cut against Christian values. And there are times that we need to ensure that we speak out. And there are times we need to stand out. Now, the second thing about this section which really struck me was the response to Caleb's statement of faith in Numbers 14. So he and Joshua, they say to the people, look, God is with us. We can do this. The land is good. We can defeat the people. And the response is that the people threaten to stone them. It's not exactly Hollywood, is it? You know, in the films, when an army is feeling afraid or lacking in motivation, the leaders make this inspirational speech and suddenly everyone's on side and they're, they're bashing their swords against their shields and they're, they're ready to invade. But not here. The inspirational speech is followed by an aggressive response. Two things seem important here. Firstly, the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's the best news. But it's not always received in that way. The response to the good news of God's love and salvation can be resistance or even aggression. Caleb was bringing good news to the people. He was bringing news of the promised land. And yet it was rejected. It was completely aggressively rejected. And I want to encourage us that we need to be proclaimers of good news. And we need to do that no matter what the response. As we tell people about the love of God, as we tell people about the work of Jesus, as we talk about an eternal hope of a promised land, sometimes the response will be rejection and aggression. But let's not be put off by that. Let's continue to be people who speak good news, knowing sometimes it will be met with opposition. The final thing that struck me about this passage and the people's response to Caleb was the fact that there's a danger sometimes of cynicism and unbelief. And so as we move forward and as God speaks to us, let's continue ourselves because these were the people of God and yet they were responding in cynicism and unbelief. And so as the people of God, let's ensure that we continue to move forward not in cynicism and unbelief, but as people of faith. Let's make sure that we don't respond negatively to the things that God is calling us to do and to be 
for his glory. So as we look back, there were these, th- these things that struck me. And they just sort of stirred me just to share them with you before we move into Joshua 14. Let's spend a moment just pausing there. I'd just like to pray. That's okay. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray against that culture that exists, that peer pressure challenge that we have. I ask that you would embolden your people so that we don't fall foul to that danger. I pray that we would be people who would speak good news and that you would give us great courage to continue to do that. I pray for that opportunity. And we know sometimes that won't be met with anything other than opposition, and yet we know you're calling us to be speakers of good news. So I pray that you would help us. And Father, I pray too against cynicism, the cynicism of our culture. I want to pray that you would give us that gift of faith that would rise up within us and enable us to be walking and standing together, moving forward together into all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Moses calls out to God to forgive the people for their decision. And God makes this response in Numbers. The Lord replied, this is Numbers 14, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, none of them, not one of them, will ever see the land I promised on earth to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. That's Numbers 14, 20-24. So as you can see, Caleb and Joshua are the only two people of this generation who will step into the promised land. And so now we fast forward. Moses has gone. Joshua's leading. Caleb's still alive. The people have been in the wilderness for 40 years. But the time has arrived. They've crossed the Jordan. Jericho's been defeated. The promised land is theirs for the taking. And so as we work our way through the book of Joshua, we see that cities are conquered, the kings are defeated, and then we begin to read about the different allocation of the land to the different tribes of Israel, and we pick up the story in Joshua 14 from verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and all all of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, 
Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to this, sorry, said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourselves heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But, the Lord, but with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Wowee. There we see the fulfillment of the promise of God in Caleb's life. 45 years later. This man has continually followed, faithfully serving, patiently waiting for all that God has for him. And at the age of 85, he receives his inheritance. Now that's quite a story, isn't it? that incredible? During that first spy trip, all of those years ago, as they were traveling through Hebron, it's mentioned in Numbers 13, I wonder when they were traveling through Hebron, Caleb thought to himself, wow, one day this will be mine. All those years later, he receives it. So a couple of things for us to think about. Firstly, here's one of my favorite quotes from this whole section, the words of Caleb himself. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Go, Caleb. One of my favorite things about this church, about Barnabas, is that it is a multi-generational church. And I love that because of the kids. And I love it because of the families. And I love it because we have single people of all ages. And I love it because of the young people. And I also love it because of the more senior members of the church. So just for a moment, I want to honor the Caleb's in the room. And to start with, to do that, I want to introduce someone who is actually a spring chicken compared with Caleb. Her name's Heather Wilson. She's a youngster in comparison, but she has been a Christian for 40 years, over 40 years. And I've asked her to share something of what she's seen God do as she's gone on her journey of faith over these many years. And at the same time, I've asked her to give us a little flavor as to why she's still up for the battle today. Now, it was very, very amusing when I invited um, Heather to share because I rang and I said, look, Heather, I'm talking about someone who's quite old and um, <laughs> I wonder whether you would share and she was laughing and I was trying to not dig a hole and, um, uh, and then she's ever since been making fun of me. But I wonder whether Heather would come and share and we could warmly welcome her as she comes. That's
Hi. Um, in 1977, we were living in a small village, mining village in Nottinghamshire. And God came. God just came. And Alan and I became Christians knowing absolutely nothing about the Bible, about God, about Jesus. We did know the Lord's Prayer um, and the teaching that we'd had at school. But other than that, we'd had no church experience at all. And God came. And Terry's asked me to share a couple of the things that happened when we became Christians. One Sunday afternoon, we were down in Sherwood Forest by the river. And it was a sort of family occasion. My mum and dad were there, my brother was over. And as boys do, um, Mark and George had some fun and George began to chase Mark, and Mark was running alongside the river. And then to get away from George, Mark took an easy road, we thought, and jumped into the river. George had got his shoes on, so there was no way he was going to do that. Unfortunately, Mark landed on half a broken bottle. Alan jumped in the river when he screamed and lifted him out, and as he lifted him out, he was holding the underside of Mark's foot and blood was pumping through his fingers. He came back across the river and got Mark out. We were at that point 12 miles away from a hospital and Mark was a bit grotty from being in the river. But we'd had some teaching about the power of Jesus and because um, it wasn't kind of way back... And because we believed and because God was so wonderful in us knowing him, Alan decided that he, in the mighty and the all-powerful name of Jesus, would command the blood to stop. So he prayed, in the name of Jesus, we command this bleeding to stop. And it did, instantly. Because we were holding on to our reputation, we thought we'd better bath Mark before we took him to the hospital. Um, so that's what we did. We took him over to Mansfield to the hospital there, a 12-mile journey. And they wouldn't believe that it had just happened. And it did actually need 14 stitches to the underside of his foot. God was amazing we would never ever have got to the hospital if the blood was coming through at the rate it was coming through to start with god was amazing and on another occasion i love this story because to me it's not always what god does but the beautiful way that he does things we were in this meeting and there was a, a young lady there sitting on the front row because she was lip reading. She'd been tone deaf since she was born, stone deaf, couldn't hear anything at all. She had children the same age as our children, which gave us an affinity to her instantly. They preached very carefully so that she could see what was being said. 
At the end, they asked if anyone would like prayer. And she went forward and they said face to face, do you believe that God can heal? And she said, in like a deaf voice, yes. Do you believe that God wants to heal you? And she said, yes, again. Do you believe that God's going to do it today? And there was a very strong yes. So the gentleman who was praying then asked her to face the people. Previously, she'd been facing him. He said, turn round and face the people. That point she did, and he prayed for her. And then he tapped her on the shoulder and he said, Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that still deaf voice, with the man standing behind so that she couldn't read his lips, the first words that she heard were that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I know that day that she heard her children talking, laughing, probably fighting, hey, uh, for the first time, for the first time. God is amazing, isn't he? Since then, I have had uncountable hundreds of experiences of God allowing me to see what he was doing. Phil, this morning. You know, right up to date, Phil, this morning. An ordinary person with an extraordinary God. Thank you so much, Heather. Heather's an example of many people in this church who are just as keen to be in the battle as they were 40 years ago. And I want to say thank you to those people for your ongoing commitment. Thank you for your determination to keep on serving God. Can I encourage you? Thank you for all the battles you've won on our behalf. I want to encourage you to keep going. Back in 2011, as Billy Graham reached the age of 93 and released his latest book, entitled Nearing Home, Life, Faith, and Finishing Well, he said this, While the Bible doesn't gloss over the problems we face as we grow older, neither does it paint old age as a time to be despised or a burden to be endured with gritting teeth, if we have any teeth, that is. Nor does it picture us in our latter years as useless or ineffective. Instead, the Bible says God has a reason for keeping us here. So can I encourage you with the words of Heather, with the words of that great evangelist? Can I encourage you who've been in the battle for a while, continue to think like Caleb, live like Caleb, and fight like Caleb? Because your service is significant, your work is still vital, your contribution is still incredibly valuable. And I, as I look across this room, I can see a number of Caleb's in the room. And we are very, very thankful to all of you. The final point I want to make today is about the promises of God. Caleb continued to be confident that God would fulfill all the things 
that he had for him. And in spite of 40 years in the wilderness, in spite of the great challenges, he continued to believe. And there may be people in this room today who wonder, is God really going to bring about all that he has for me? And can I encourage you that if you're in that category, be inspired by this man, Caleb. Hold on to the promises of God. Sometimes he fulfills things in ways that we don't necessarily expect or understand, but as demonstrated by this incredible story, God is faithful. God is faithful and we can trust him. So let's just summarize the lessons we can learn from Caleb. He spoke against the crowd. He didn't give in to peer pressure. I want to encourage us. Let's be people who are ready to respond in that sort of way. He brought good news in spite of it being received with aggression Let's constantly be considering how we can bring the good news of Jesus in every area of life, knowing that sometimes it'll be received well and sometimes it won't. As Caleb spoke to the people of God, they responded with cynicism. Let's ensure that we respond to vision with faith rather than with cynicism. Caleb was still going strong in his old age. Let's ensure that we continue to follow and serve right the way through our lives. And finally, Caleb held on to the promise of God for 40 years. Let's continue to respond in faith, believing that God brings about all that he has for us. I'd love us actually to sing as we conclude as a response, Be Thou My Vision. I'm going to ask Charlie and the team to come back. It just seems appropriate. Be thou my inheritance, now and always. That sense of continuing to put our faith in the focus of the promises of God. Let's stand together, shall we? I just want to pray briefly, and then we're going going to sing together, and I'll hand back to the others. Father, we continue to trust you because of your promises, because you're faithful. We thank you so much for the Caleb's in the room, those who continue to faithfully serve and follow and worship you. And we want to be inspired by them, but our great desire is to be people who hold on to your promises and follow in faith. Give us the grace, the ability, the courage to do that. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this song together. Let's worship Jesus.